0: Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. I'm Nick. Uh, Rick was here last week and he said, well, it's a little difficult to speak on finances. I'm going to talk about sex this morning. So I think he got the easier one, you know. We are continuing in our series in Proverbs, and this morning I'm gonna be asking the question, is this sexually wise? Most of the time when we talk about sex, we are using words like self-control, or discipline, or restraint, or we're using words like exploration and freedom. And wisdom is not necessarily something that we connect with our idea of sexuality. But as we know, Proverbs is what we've called a heart book, um, and sexuality and our response to sexuality comes from what is either present in our heart or missing from our hearts. And so this morning I want to see how the Word of God through the Spirit of God speaks to us about whether this is sexually wise. Proverbs 6 verse 23, and this is a mom and dad talking to, or, or, or this is Solomon saying this is how a mom and dad would talk to their son, for their command, the mom and dad is a lamp and their instruction is a light. Their corrective discipline is the way to life. It will keep you from the immoral woman, from the smooth tongue of the promiscuous woman. Excuses might be found for a thief who steals because he is starving, but if he's caught, he must pay back seven times what he stole, even if he has to sell everything in his house. But the man who commits adultery is an utter fool, for he destroys himself. He will be wounded and disgraced, and his shame will never be erased." Father, I pray for your grace to rest upon us this morning. I want to pray in the name of Jesus that uh, you, by your power, would deal with shame, that you would deal with judgment, but that you would also deal with callousness. I want to pray that you would block our ears to the voice of the accuser, the voice of our flesh in this world, and you would open our ears to the voice of the Spirit who always speak, speaks words of freedom hope and truth for our good and for your glory. We are all sexually disoriented. Most of the time when we talk about orientation, particularly in this age, it has something to do with sexuality. What is your sexual orientation? And yet in the scripture, we look at the idea of the lamp and the light, which helps us in terms of our journey and in terms of direction. And um, most of us know that one of the things that we use for direction and orientation is a compass. And a couple days ago, uh, Aaron and I were re-watching Pirates of the Caribbean. I know, a classic, deep and meaningful, none of those things. But you guys remember this, right? It's Jack Sparrow's compass. And he says to, uh, I don't know who, um, the girl, the the girl pirate, you know, he says to her, True enough, this compass does not point north. She says, where does it point? He says, it points to the thing you want most in this world. And I thought about that as I was watching that, and I think that's part of our problem, is that most of us are looking at our compass, trying to find sexual direction, and the compass that we have is pointing to the thing we want the most. And it's not a compass that we can rely on. It's not a compass that points true north, because a true compass will only ever point in one direction. A true compass has the habit of telling us where we're not. A true compass has the habit of telling us where we should be. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Part of the challenge is that we can't trust this compass. Why can't we trust this compass? Because it has been compromised. It's been compromised because of original sin. When Adam sinned in the garden, he disoriented every part of God's creation, His creation, our minds, our sexuality, our nature, our bodies, every aspect of creation was marred. And I know that because even sitting here this morning, there's evidence of our own sexual disorientation. There's evidence because we have been sexually abused. There's evidence of our sexual disorientation because we grew up in sexually repressed homes. There's evidence of that because we are bound in porn and masturbation there's evidence of that because we are over romanticize every relationship there's evidence of that because we are part of a culture of casual hookups or we participate in premarital sex we're not sure if we're in the right body we struggle with same sex attraction we're married and deeply unhappy with our sexual experience, or we will do anything to be loved sexually. And for those reasons, we cannot be our own guides. We can't trust our own bearings. We have to recalibrate our compass, and in order to recalibrate our compass, we need a relationship of intimacy with God, our designer, and we need to be able to use the Bible as a handbook Understanding that what God has said is for our benefit and for our flourishing. Because what I think, what I feel, what satisfies me, and what I think is fair is not the benchmark. We can't trust ourselves. We can't trust society. Because society redefines sex around pleasure and freedom. Now, I want to say this clearly. You are in A church gathering. Predominantly, this church gathering will be filled with Christ followers, those that are apprenticing to Jesus, those that have said that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, and I've chosen to do what Jesus has said, which is to take Jesus' yoke upon me, I've chosen to live in the way that Jesus has told me to live. And so I want to remind us that what I'm saying this morning is predominantly focused on those that name Jesus as Savior, because as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 9, he says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral people of the world or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of this world. For what role do I have to judge outsiders Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? And so when the Bible speaks about a sexual ethic, the Bible is very clear is that this is the sexual ethic that the followers of Jesus need to adhere to in order to gain flourishing and joy. Now, this is a sexual ethic that if others adhere to that, which is what the book of Proverbs has shown us, will bear fruit. But in reality, what Paul is saying is, I'm not judging the decisions that other people are making um, that are outside of the church. I'm giving you clarity about how you are to behave in the household of God. The challenge with our society is that we are challenged with what is sin? Who is God? What is marriage? What is a woman? What is a man? There are constantly changing attitudes about sex, femininity, masculinity, marriage, gender. It's so confusing and so fluid. And even in the last five years, things have changed dramatically, and particularly in the last five years, this isn't seen uh, as an issue of sexuality, but one of justice and one of oppression. We look at this when we, we look at concepts like pornography. Pornography is all about showing sex as pleasure outside of the context of marriage. And how many of you guys have seen on your Instagram roles something called food porn or nature porn? So the idea is there's something beautiful that you get to gaze at. That, that, we should be offended by that. The reality is that the word porn is taken to be something beautiful, something that we should look at, something that some place that we want to be at. There's a, a culture of casual sex, not just hookup culture with Tinder, but the idea that within the church, a relationship. Um, where sex is part of that relationship prior to marriage is now no longer a big deal. How many of you guys heard of the representative at the prayer breakfast in South Carolina? Anyone heard about that? She, uh, she was at a prayer breakfast, and she was saying that, uh, yeah, this morning when I got out of bed at my fiancé's house, he tried to grab me, and, and I said, no, no, not today. I've, I'm going to be late at the prayer breakfast. And, and people kind of like giggled a little. Imagine she had said this morning when I got up and um, I was talking to my girlfriend, people would be freaking out. Part of the problem is we have not done a good job of maintaining God's standard of sexual fidelity. Because what we've done as a church is we've put the one against the other. Oh, this part of sexual dysfunction is way worse than this part of sexual dysfunction. And what we've done is we've, we've confused ourselves, we've confused our children, we've even confused the world in terms of what we believe As the Church of God. We know that marriage does not solve these problems. Um, Hulu has this documentary on Ashley Madison, this website that was designed for people who want to cheat. So you go onto this website and you say that I'm married or I want to date someone who's married and and you want to have an affair. Their tagline used to be, life is short, have an affair. And so what people decided to do was they grabbed all this data, and they started blackmailing people with all this data. And they said, now that you're on the Ashley Madison site and you're married, now we're going to release your data. And some of it was true, and some of it was false. You, you would think the site doesn't exist anymore. It does exist. It has 60 million users worldwide. This is a site designed for people that are in a relationship to have an extramarital affair. The rising acceptance and celebration of pursuing a same-sex lifestyle, this makes sense, because if sex has nothing to do with procreation, nothing to do with marriage and intimacy, then anything that gives me personal pleasure and self-fulfillment, any form of sex between two consenting adults, makes sense. So it's the logical outcome of the game that we're playing. We can't trust ourselves, We can't trust society. Unfortunately, we can't trust the historic church. And this is where we need to repent, where I, as a leader of the church universal, need to repent because we've not done a good job. We've talked about sex in hushed and embarrassed tones rather than boldly declaring the gift that God has given us for intimacy, ecstasy, and communion. The church has been complicit in horrific abuse. And generally, the church has not taught sexuality in a way that strengthens and clarifies what real marriage is, that honors singleness, that recognizes brokenness, that accepts those that don't fit into the box and recognizes and challenges sinfulness with truth and grace and love. We have skirted over issues of sin. We have oversimplified struggles of people with same-sex attraction and gender dysphoria, and we have focused on one form of dysfunction over another. God have mercy on us. The historical church has elevated marriage, and by definition, the orgasm, as the pinnacle of human emotional connection. And because of that, we've alienated singles, widows, those divorced and struggling with their sexuality. So if all of this is true and that is the bad news, then how do, we, how do we reorient? How do we actually say, Father, I know that you have set a way forward. I know that you are trustworthy. I know that I'm able to find my way forward. How do we do this? Well, we don't fear our desires. We don't blindly follow our desires. We fulfill our desires according to his pattern. This is what a real compass looks like. This is where we are, and the real compass is always going to point where north is. Now, how many of you, when you look at a real compass, get mad? You don't get mad, especially when you're lost. When you figure out that you're not where you thought you were going to be, you don't get mad with the compass, right? You're deeply grateful that there is something that is reliable that is pointing the way in which you should have gone. And so what I'm asking this morning is, as we look at what it means to reorient, that we would be be able to say, okay, Father, in some way, I need to be reoriented to your picture of what flourishing sexually looks like for me as a single, as a married. Let's look at, Proverbs 6:27 How do we recalibrate our sexual compass? Will we accept the limitations of the sexual experience that God has set? Verse 27 Can a man scoop a flame onto his lap and not have it catch his clothes on fire? Can he walk on hot coals and not blister his feet? Biblically, this is consistent throughout the Old and the New Testament is that fire belongs in the fireplace. Now, if you go to someone's house and you want to start a fire, where do you start the fire? This is not a trick question. In the fireplace. Okay, and I want you to picture you walk into someone's house and you begin to build a fire in the middle of their lounge. What are they going to say? Stop it. There is a place for that. This is dangerous. Don't do that. And what if you reply to them, stop being so old-fashioned and traditional and legalistic? (laughs) What if that's your reply to them? What are they going to say to you? I don't care. It's dangerous. It is very dangerous for you to build this fire in the lounge. I don't care whether you see it as traditional or legalistic. This is not where a fire goes because it is dangerous. Sex is for use within marriage between a biological man and woman. The Bible is consistent on this. I want to say this. Having a fireplace does not solve your sexual issues. Most men, and listen men, too many men do not deal with their sexual disorientation before they get into marriage, believing that marriage is the silver bullet that will rescue them from that disorientation. It does not. It means you bring baggage into that marriage. Now, Jesus can rescue you from that. But I don't want you to believe that marriage is, is the silver bullet for that. It is for our protection. It's so that we don't burn ourselves when you heap coal onto your lap. It's for those around us. A fireplace is basically the the image of a marriage. It needs to be maintained. It needs to be cleaned. It needs to be cared for. There's a bunch of dirt that gets in there that you need to deal with. There's got to be good airflow for the fireplace to work. And sex outside of the fireplace damages our own body, our soul, and the body and soul of the other person that we're engaged with. Why? Because fire is indiscriminate. Have you ever seen, you know those tornadoes? And it's so weird for me, like how a tornado can rip through a, uh, a kind of, I guess it's, it's not always a trailer park, but that's always what I see is <laughs> a trailer park, okay? <laughs> But, but have you ever seen like the one trailer that is just standing there, right? A fire does not work that way. A fire doesn't go around something. Fire burns everything in its path. It is completely indiscriminate. And the Bible tells us that the consequences of sexual sin are more dramatic than other sins. Because Paul tells the Corinthians that are involved in sexual sin. He says to them, avoid, flee sexual immorality because every sin that a person commits is outside the body except for those who engage in sexual immorality. They commit sin against their own bodies. So we need to accept the limitations of sexual experience, understanding that our sexual experience needs to be within the confines of marriage, that that fire needs to take place within the fireplace. And we need to reject society's smooth tongue. Proverbs 6, 24 to 25 says, it will keep you from the immoral woman, from the smooth tongue of the promiscuous woman. Don't lust for her beauty. Don't let her coy glances seduce you. I um, apparently have a resting angry face. That's what people tell me. Um, And I have tried with Karin to give a kind of a coy look, you know, like, hey, how you doing? You know what I mean? A, it is very confusing to her. She literally will stop and she'll be like, What are you doing? You know what I mean? And I'm like, well, it's not having the the result that I wanted to have. Society society tries to reach us with smooth words and coy glances. And the smooth words of society, Proverbs tells us in verse seven, I mean chapter seven. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home, and he's gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him, and at full moon he will come home. With much seductive speech she persuades him. With her smooth talk she compels him. And all at once, as he follows her, an ox going to the slaughter, or a stag caught fast or trapped. What are some of the seductive speech that we are bombarded with. Purity is archaic. It's stupid and dangerous, and it limits your freedom and will lead to future problems with intimacy. Porn is harmless. In fact, it can give you a more fulfilling sexual relationship. Strong, independent women are sexually active women. You decide what gender you are. Pursuing same-sex attraction is not just normal, it's to be celebrated. And sexual engagement is necessary in order to identify sexual compatibility. These are the smooth words that we are hearing consistently. Maybe not that clearly. Maybe with the coy glances that we are hearing these words. The irony of all of this is the word tells us two things that both can't be true. The world tells us that it doesn't matter what you do with your body. What you do with your body it doesn't affect your mind. It doesn't affect your emotional state. It doesn't affect kind of who you are. And yet at the same time, it's saying that this is the most glorious thing that you can ever imagine. This is the pinnacle of human experience. This is what you need. To, both things can't be true. What God says both things are true is that this thing is holy and precious and to be guarded and it has a specific place but it is full of enjoyment and mischievousness and ecstasy and intimacy and communion. And When God says that, both of those things are true. The coy glances of our culture are becoming more and more subtle. For those of you that are parents right now, these, these statements that are made are not that clearly being shouted at your children. It's more the coy glances in the Disney movies that we are seeing where things are just being a little shifted, and you are forced, if you're not forced, you should be having those kinds of conversations with your kids. What do you think they're trying to do? It's our role as a parent to set that sexual standard for our children, not the TV's role. As Christ followers, we should be marked with a satisfaction, joy, and enthusiasm, not because we are sexually fulfilled, but because we have a relationship with a God that transcends our natural body. As Christ followers, we know that if we are caught in any of these things, there is cleansing, there is healing, there is hope, there is freedom. That we can be washed, sanctified, and justified because of Jesus. Scripture tells us that we should revel in appropriate sexual experience. And so the challenge of the church and the pastors. Don't talk about it, pretend like nobody does it, but actually what we need to do is we need to be clear that sexual experience is something positive within the bounds of marriage. Sexual experience is something that God designed for us for intimacy and communion. In Proverbs 5 verse 15, it says, Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your, of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breasts satisfy you at all times. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and the embrace of the bosom of an adulteress? And this is erotic and graphic. God is not a prude. We're not told to deny our thirst, but God shows us where we can quench our thirst. So I learned something the other day. I was driving in the car, again, with my teenage girls, and they told me about something called a thirst trap photo. (laughs) Okay? And I'm like, what? What? And they were saying, yeah, we, um, there's this friend of theirs, and you know, he posts on TikTok. And I'm like, oh, what kind of stuff does he post? Oh, thirst trap stuff. I'm like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? A thirst trap photo is an evocative, potentially sexually explicit photo that is meant to quench your thirst. Now, I looked at that, and you, you guys might think, Nick, how does your brain work? But the minute I heard thirst trap photo, I thought of this scripture. Let your own cistern satisfy you. There is a thirst that we have that the world is trying to trap us into and saying this will quench your thirst. But it doesn't. That's why even the world knows it's a trap, a thirst trap. <laughs> anyway, and those of you that are under 19... I don't know whether I have more cred or way less cred. <laughs> I think probably the latter, you know. We are not told to deny our thirst, church. We are told God tells us exactly where our thirst can be quenched. Biblical sexuality is marked by creation order. It's marked by intimacy, by ecstasy. Read Song of Songs, but most importantly, it is marked by exclusivity, both physically and mentally. The way we participate in our sexual experience with reverence, with mystery, mischievousness, and abandoned joy, the way that we speak about it, the way in which we guard it, whether we're singles or married, guarding our minds, our hearts, our eyes, and our ears. And we must not be afraid of talking positively about the beauty of sex in its proper place. Car and I have been in ministry over 25 years, and one of the privileges we have is to do premarital counseling. One of the greatest privileges we have is talking about how enjoyable sex is in the context of marriage. Now I'm realizing that as I get older, that's a little creepier when two 50 year olds are talking about the enjoyment of sex. This happened really more when we were in our 30s and we were kind of like a cool couple to do premarital counseling with. Now, People, I'm sure, are like, oh, I don't want to hear this, (laughs) you know, please, you know. If we as Christ followers are not talking about the beauty of sex within the fireplace, and we are not undoing very unhelpful things that have been, um, that have been sown into young people in terms of culture, in terms of their own disorientation, and also potentially in terms of the broader church, then we're not doing anyone any favors. I remember we were sitting down, and we were, we were talking with one couple, and she was talking about how her mom had described sex to her. And right there and then, we stopped, and we prayed, and we had to say, that is not what it, sex is like. And, and there was a freedom that came to her in that moment. And we can bring freedom to each other. I'm not, I'm not saying, let's go out and just indiscriminately be talking about sex outside with the donuts and coffee. That's not what I'm talking about. You know what I mean? Not what I'm talking about. But what I'm saying is, when the Bible says, older men teach younger men, older women teach younger women, that's part of our responsibility. It's not just a leadership responsibility. It's actually to say, hey, man, the way that you're talking, the movies that you're watching, the things that you're saying, these things are not going to help you in your marriage. These things are going to be difficult for you to undo. There's repentance, there is freedom, uh, but there's also the natural consequence of what your body is becoming used to. We can help you with this. One of the most amazing moments was when we took a group of men away and this young man confessed his addiction to pornography. And you know what? We all pointed fingers at him and we said, you should be ashamed. And we said, do you think that's how it worked? No. We also didn't say, don't worry, man, it's not a big deal. We said, man, Jesus is present to bring you forgiveness and to bring you healing. And man walked with him, and now he walks with other men to see them come to freedom. This is harder than I thought it would be. Fourthly, we participate in gospel community. How on earth does participating in gospel community help me with my sexuality? Think of gospel community as that little mesh in front of the fireplace because it's a mesh of accountability and vulnerability. It helps you so that you know this is not your fireplace. Don't walk in this. We also need to acknowledge the human design for companionship because when God said it's not good for man to be alone, he was not talking about marriage in and of itself. Yes, There is an aspect that God was talking about with marriage, but human beings are not designed to live alone. This application is far more universal. It means the human race, humanity, is not good to be alone. There are people that didn't plan to be single. Priscilla didn't plan to be single. Single. I don't plan to be single. I may be one day, because we don't know what's going to happen. And so the reality of of actually, okay, all my needs are met, and my wife are now suddenly going to be challenged in the reality of like, actually, God has given me a community to help me walk this out. I asked a single woman, she's now in her 40s. I said to her, How do you suppress your desires? And she gave me a very big lesson. She said, I don't suppress my desires. I don't redirect them. I don't ignore them. I submit them to Jesus. I say, not my will, but yours be done. And I take his promise that he will give me the desires of my heart. Because I also know this. I have befriended many married people that are much, un, much, that are much less happy than I am. And so I know marriage is not the silver bullet. I know that a sexual relationship is not the silver bullet. I know that my humanness, part of my humanness, is my physical body, but that is not all of my humanness. Part of my joy is what I experience through my senses, but that is not all of my joy. And so I've come to recognize that. Man, that was an important lesson for me to learn. I know that this is more complex for those that struggle with same-sex attraction in the church. And that's why we need to expand what our view of family is. We need to be prepared to welcome people that are not within the context that we are in, whether they're single, unmarried, divorced, celibate. We need them to know that they are needed and that they belong. If you're married, we need to stop subtly communicating that single people are incomplete in some way. That... They have lots of time and lots of money. That's partly true, though. (laughs) But I would say maybe more money and more time, not endless amounts of time and money. We also can't automatically assume that they are lonely, but we also need to be open to the fact that maybe an invite is necessary and welcomed. They need to be able to find genuine companionship within this house because this will have a concrete impact on how we, as married folk with children, choose to live our lives and choose to use our time in our houses. And to the single folks among us, I want to say this. As we extend grace to you, can you extend grace to us as married folk that not every comment about your singleness is picking at your wound? Sometimes we're just dumb. Sometimes we really are just trying to help. Can we each give each other the benefit of the doubt? Marriage will not meet your deepest need, desire, or longing. Yes, marriage is designed by God. Yes, marriage is a picture of Jesus' relationship with the church. But 25 years in ministry will tell me that there are enough wounded people in broken marriages that tells me that that is not the answer. Tim Keller says this, Others of us hope that an unending affection and affirmation from a beautiful, brilliant, and romantic partner will finally make us feel good about ourselves. That turns the relationship into a form of salvation, and no relationship can live up to that. No human has the capacity, the desire, or the skill to care for you the way that you deserve to be cared for. Only Jesus can do that. Can they do that in fits and starts? Yes, they can. Can you feel loved and cared for and seen and desired by a human being? Can you feel protected and provided for? Yes, you can. Not all the time. I know someone who can do that all the time, whether you're single or whether you're married. The challenge with marriage, those of you that are not married, is that it is an instrument of God's refining fire. (laughs) It's only in marriage where you are confronted with your own selfishness and sinfulness, If you want to know how selfish you are, get married. If you're still not sure, have children. (laughs) All of the selfishness will come bubbling out of your heart, and you will be confronted with that reality. Not only does the, the refining fire of marriage bubble up all the dross to the surface, no one can hurt you like your husband or wife because no one can love you like your husband or wife. And so some of the deepest wounds that you would have received would have been in your marriage, just like some of the highest highs that you have received. Marriage is unsustainable apart from a deep devotion and reliance on Jesus. A friend of mine, Marsha you the Smiths know her, so they'll know this is very true. She went to a, a wedding, and I said to her, how was it? She said, weddings without Jesus are stupid and irrelevant, you know? I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, why would I do that? Why would I commit myself to someone that I know is going to hurt me, that does not have the capacity to fully do what they promise they're going to do? But man, when I get married where someone is a Christ follower and says, covenants with me, by the grace of God and by the empowerment of the Spirit, I choose to love you in the way that you deserve to be loved. Now that's a wedding I want to go to. Sound like Marsha you? Sounds like Marsha you, right? Yeah. Marriage is a godly gift, but it will never satisfy your deepest need. A sexual relationship will never satisfy your deepest need. Changing who you have a sexual relationship with will never satisfy your deepest need. Because your deepest need can only be satisfied by your Savior. So what is our, what is our response Our response, whether we're married or single, whether we struggle with same sex attraction, whether we are celibate, whether we've been wounded, whatever our orientation or station, is to rest in the arms of a celibate and single Savior. You know, the great irony of Proverbs is that Solomon wrote these Proverbs. The great irony of Proverbs is that he was not able to keep these Proverbs. He turned his kingdom into a place that normalized sexual addiction. He had harems of hundreds of women because he was intoxicated with sexual addiction and his power. He ended up objectifying women and worshiping their gods. Jesus, who had greater allure greater power, and greater authority than Solomon never, ever abused his authority. He was tempted in every way, Scripture tells us, and yet without sin. Never married, never had sex. He had women following him. He had women that were supporting his ministry, touching him, crying on his feet, wiping his feet with their hair, worshipping him, and never, ever abused them. He elevated them and honored them. That's the Jesus that we worship. Band, you can come up here. And the great difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament is that there are shadows of Jesus in the Old Testament. Shadows of Jesus through the sacrificial system. Shadows of Jesus through the sacrificial system. But it's in the New Testament where the sacrifice of Jesus is fully fulfilled. I started this morning in verse 32. And it says, But the man who commits adultery is an utter fool, for he destroys himself. He will be wounded and disgraced. His shame will never be erased. Thank God, because... The arrival of Jesus means that that portion of Scripture is now no longer true. Because in Colossians 1, verse 21, it says, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. Jesus took on our wound, he took on our shame and our disgrace and he took all of our sexual brokenness on the cross. Whether your sexual wound is self-inflicted or whether it's been inflicted on you, Jesus has taken that wound. Jesus was abused, not sexually, but he was abused physically. He was stripped, hung naked on a cross, willingly wounded and disgraced so that this portion of scripture could be undone so that our shame could be erased. And our shame, church, has been erased. Your shame from last night, or your shame from 40 years ago, has been erased. And the key to that is repentance. The key to that is to take our Jack Sparrow compass and throw it out the window, and to say, I do not want to be led to what I think I want the most. I want to to be led by Jesus, to that which will fully and completely satisfy me. I want to repent of trying to do things on my own and I want to accept the fact that I can only be fully known and fully loved by a Savior who fully gave himself for me. So this morning, maybe you're dealing with a current struggle sexually. Maybe there's something you want to be free from or you need to repent from. Jesus is here. We sang earlier today, Spirit of God. Pour your Spirit out. He's here. Maybe you're still dealing with a past wound. Something that you were not responsible for, but is still affecting your view of God, of relationships, of sex. Jesus is here to help. Or maybe you're confused. There's all these voices. I don't know what to believe. I don't know what to think. Jesus can give you clarity. Let's pray. There is none like you, Jesus. You willingly gave yourself for us, pursued us, while we were still broken and marred. And you met us changed all that you dealt with our sin, you dealt with our shame, you dealt with our addictions you dealt with our abuse and you want to do it this morning I pray my God that there would just be just a fresh recognition of the mercy, truth but also power of God I want to pray that my friends would taste this morning not only the forgiving grace of God but the empowering grace of God where we can stand firm against the seductive words and coy glances of this world Jesus we are yours lead us reorient us heal us forgive us in your name and for your glory we pray
1: I was, uh, I, was telling, uh, I was telling Nick just, just before I got up here that she was preaching, a, a, I was struck by um, just the, the reminder of Jesus with his disciples, with, uh, with the woman at the well. And they went, uh, I think I even talked about it a couple of weeks ago in, in, in one of my sermons, but I was just reminded of it, that the disciples said they had had a long journey and I'm sure they were tired, and sure they were hungry and they went off to go get some food to satisfy a, a very, very real need uh, because they were hungry. And uh, and they got back and they offered him food and he said, I have food that you have no idea about. My food is to do the will of my Father. This is the same Jesus we get to come to uh, in this table. Like whether you're looking for Fulfillment in your marriage the way that Nick was talking about sexual fulfillment in marriage or you're single The all-sufficient one has what you need and has what I need and we get to come to his table together uh, Candace shared with me a scripture that she felt was what uh, was was important For those of us that might have kind of uh, the whisper of the of the enemy in your ear uh, Hebrews uh, Hebrews chapter 10 verses 22 and 23, this is the posture that we get to come to at this table. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And i want to encourage you after we take communion together the band is going to play another another song there's gonna be people to my left to your right don't leave without receiving prayer when it comes to sexual brokenness welcome to the human race welcome every single one of us has dealt with it to some to some degree and i want you to know that it's completely safe and completely appropriate and completely right Like what nick said the idea of repentance is turning to god just confessing and you find that there's overwhelming grace for you and so we come to this table we hold this bread in our hand this is the body that was broken for us and given to us taking we also hold the cup the cup of the new covenant For the forgiveness of a couple of your sins. No. For all of your sins. We take it with joy. Jesus, we love you. We love you. We turn our hearts to you. Even in this last song, Lord, would you come up to each one that needs to, that needs something from you. Would you provide what we need? We love you.
0: It's by grace and grace alone, grace that empowers us to say no to ungodliness, but grace that comes and washes us clean. Let's go out there and be the church. I know a subject like this may have many questions for you. I know I couldn't cover everything. I'm very happy to talk to you afterwards if you have any more questions. For the rest of us, we'll see you at the back.